2: There's a ring of truth that belongs stingable. knowing that you cannot find alone. And if you listen carefully and sometimes even if you don't, you can hear
0: that sound. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Ring of Truth with our pastor and teacher, Dan Sexton, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel, Ellicott City. Please join Pastor Dan as he teaches through God's Word.
1: They didn't waver at the promise of God through unbelief. They were fully convinced, it says, that what God had promised them, that God was able to perform it in spite of their physical condition, in spite of the circumstances. They understood that God is not bound by our physical limitations. And that if God's promise has made this promise, that He's he's going to keep this promise. And He'll overcome the physical limitations.
0: What promises has God given to you that you are waiting to see fulfilled? In today's message from Pastor Dan, he encourages you to keep circling the promises of God. God never wavers in His promises. He is always faithful to complete them. Even if the promises seem far-fetched, With many obstacles to overcome, God will keep them. Pastor Dan encourages you to set your mind on God's ability, not the limitations. You serve a God whose love knows no bounds and who is faithful to His Word. God fulfills all His promises. And now, open your Bibles to the book of Isaiah, chapter 43, as we join Pastor Dan for today's edition of Ring
1: of Truth. Now, look at what God says in verse 4 to the people of Judah. He says, since you were precious in my sight, you have been honored and I have loved you. Therefore, I will give men for you and people for your life. God says, because Israel is precious and honored and loved by him, he will give men in exchange for her. So Israel need not fear because God loves them, because God loves her. Israel is precious to God. The word, the word precious here, it means Israel is prized by God. Israel is valuable, the, the people of Israel. She's honored, she's loved by God, and, and so too with us. We need not be afraid, we need not fear, because God loves us, we're valuable to him. So valuable that he sent his son to die on the cross for us, to save us and redeem us. That's how valuable we are. You know, in Romans, Romans chapter 8, verse 32, it says, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? We know, we can be confident that God will give us all that we need for life, because he didn't spare his son. He's already demonstrated his love for us by sending his son to die for us. He's already paid the highest possible price to purchase us. So, of course, he's going to give us what we need now for life. Look at verse 5 again. Again, God says, don't be afraid. Fear not, for I am with you. That's, in the Bible, that's always God's answer to our fears. He's with us. His presence, that's always his answer. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your descendants from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, don't keep them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory, I have formed him, yes, I have made him. Another reason that Israel doesn't need to fear is because the Lord promised to bring them back into their own land and he will be faithful to keep his word. He promised to bring them from the north and the south and the east and the west and to bring them back into their land from every direction and, and restore them back into their own land. And this is this is speaking in the immediate about them returning from Babylon and from the captivity in Babylon to their own land. But it's also speaking about the regathering of the Jews in their own land in the last days. From the four corners of the earth, from the east, the west, the north and the south, God will bring them back into his land. And we see that being fulfilled today with the Jews returning back to the land of Israel from all over the world, from every continent Back to the land of Israel, just as God promised. He's regathering his people. Now, again, the context here, though, he's writing this to to Jews that are in Babylon, that are slaves, that are not in their land. And he's writing this to them. and, and, And they're reading these verses and reading these promises. And these promises must have seemed impossible to them that they would ever return to their own land. They have to accept these promises on faith, right? Just like us, we accept the promises of God on faith, not by sight. And sometimes circumstances seem impossible. Things just look impossible. We don't see how any way this will work out for us or for our good. But we just believe the promises of God and his word by faith. That somehow he's just going to work it out, even though it looks impossible to us. He's still going to work it out because he's faithful to his word. You remember Abraham. Abraham's called the father of faith and how he believed the promises of God, even though what God promised was physically impossible for Abraham and Sarah. If you turn with me over to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, God promised Abraham that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky. And Abraham believed God's promise by faith. If you look in Romans chapter 4, verse 19, speaking of Abraham, it says, And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb, she was 90 years old. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was able to perform. And therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. Abraham and Sarah were old and both physically unable to have children, but they did not consider their physical circumstances or their physical condition. They didn't waver at the promise of God through unbelief, they were fully convinced, it says, that what God had promised them, that God was able to perform it in spite of their physical condition, in spite of the circumstances. They understood that God is not bound by our physical limitations and that if God's promise has made this promise, that he's he's going to keep this promise and he'll overcome the physical limitations now. Back in Isaiah 43, God's making these promises to the children of Israel as they're in captivity, that he's going to bring them back into their land. It doesn't seem possible to them at this point, but they've got the promise of God. In verse 8, in verse eight, it says, Bring out the blind people who have eyes and the deaf who have ears. Let all the nations be gathered together together. And let the people be assembled. Who among them can declare this and show us former things? Let them bring out their witness that they may be justified, or let them hear and say it is truth. So now God calls all of the nations to assemble and to bring their gods that they believe in and have their gods prove that they are gods by declaring the future. Just as God here has declared the future about his people and has said, I'm going to bring them back into the land. Now he calls all the gods of the nations prove that you're God by declaring the future by prophecy. And let's see you prove that you truly are God. By declaring something that will happen in the future and to the Jewish people, the Lord says in verse 10, you are my witnesses, says the Lord and my servant whom I have chosen. That you may know and believe and understand that I am he and before me there was no God formed, nor shall there be after me. He points to his own people, the children of Israel, and he says that they can testify that the Lord Jehovah is the one true God. They've experienced his mighty works. They've seen his promises fulfilled in their nation. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 7, it says, For what great nation is there that has God so near to it as the Lord our God is to Israel? They, they've seen the mighty hand of God working in their nation. They, they can testify that the Lord is God. I, even I, verse 11, am the Lord. And besides me, there is no Savior Now, notice in verse 11 that the word Lord is in all capital letters in your Bible. And that means uh, that it's, it's Jehovah, it's Yahweh that is speaking. And Yahweh says here that he is the one and only Savior. And in the New Testament, Jesus is described as the one and only Savior of mankind. In Acts chapter four, verse twelve, for example, it says there is salvation in no one else, speaking of Jesus Christ. In First Peter chapter three, verse eighteen, Jesus is called the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And here in the Old Testament, Yahweh, Jehovah, says He is the only Savior of man. Jesus is the Savior of man because Jesus is God. He's He's Yahweh. He's Jehovah. They're one in the same, and he's the only way to be saved. Jesus provides the only way of salvation for man. Verse 12 says, I have declared and saved. I have proclaimed and there was no foreign God among you. Wasn't any other God that did these things for you? Therefore, you are my witnesses, says the Lord, that I am God. the, The Jewish people again can testify to God.
0: You're listening to Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton. We'll have more from this message in a moment, but first, we'd like to tell you about an exciting resource available this Christmas season. Here's Pastor Dan to tell you more.
1: Christmas can be a very busy time of year for most of us, and in our busyness, we can forget the reason for the season Jesus Christ. So, my wife, Cameron, wrote a wonderful daily devotional called 31 Days of December. This simple devotional is written for women and is designed to help you keep Jesus at the center of your Christmas season. We would be happy to mail you a copy as our thank you for your investment of any amount in this daily radio ministry. To receive your copy of 31 Days of December, visit our website at calvaryec.com and click on Give. Now let's finish today's message. Indeed, before the day was, I am he and there is no one who can deliver out of my hand. I work and who will reverse it? No one can reverse what God is doing, although people try to. They can't reverse the plans of God. And thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. For your sake, I will send to Babylon and bring them all down as fugitives, the Chaldeans who rejoice in their ships, I am the Lord, your holy one, the creator of Israel, your king. Again, God writes this before they even go into Babylon. But here he says, he says that he will bring down Babylon. He will change the conqueror into the conquered. In verse 15, he stresses his authority. You know, he's he's making this promise and he's got the authority To make this promise, because he is the Lord, the Holy One, the creator of Israel, their king. That's who's making this promise to them. Now, when we come to verse 16, God compares what he's going to do in Babylon to the exodus in the earlier in the Old Testament. And what what he's saying here is that the way that he will deliver the children of Israel out of Babylon, that that will be like a second exodus For the children of Israel. Look at verse 16. Thus says the Lord. Who makes a way in the sea. And a path through the mighty waters. Remember God delivered. Delivered the Hebrews. By bringing them through the Red Sea. He delivered them. And God will deliver them again from Babylon. Who brings forth the chariot and horse. The army and the power. They shall lie down together. They shall not rise. They are extinguished. They are quenched like a wick. God destroyed Pharaoh's army in the Red Sea. He extinguished them like a candle in the Red Sea. And so he reminds them of how he saved them by his his mighty power and brought them out of Egypt in the past. But now look what he says in verse 18. He says, do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, look, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Hey, God says here, he says, you you can forget about what I did at the Red Sea. (laughs) You can forget about how I delivered you once before. Because what I'm going to do in delivering you out of Babylon will be even greater than what I did for you when I delivered you out of Egypt and brought you through the Red Sea. I'm going to do a new thing that's greater than the exodus from Egypt. In in Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 16, verse 14, there the Lord says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that it shall no more be said, the Lord lives who brought up the children of Israel from the land of Egypt. But the Lord lives who brought up the children of Israel from the land of the north and from all the lands where he had driven them. For I will bring them back into their land, which I gave to their fathers. There the Lord says, hey, there's going to come a day when people will no longer speak about how God brought the children of Israel from the land of Egypt, but instead they'll speak of how God delivered the children of Israel from the land of the north, from Babylon. He's going to do a new thing, and it's going to be a greater thing than he did when he delivered them out of Egypt. He says here, look at verse 19 again, he says here that he will make a highway for his people in the wilderness and rivers in the, in the desert. Back in the Exodus, God made water flow out of a rock in the desert. Now he's going to make rivers in the desert. He's going to do a greater thing. Streams in the desert. this, This will be ultimately fulfilled during the millennial reign when Christ is reigning in Jerusalem. In Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 47, there it talks about a river flowing from the temple in Jerusalem during the millennial reign. And it's going to flow from the temple in Jerusalem and it's going to flow to the east out into the Judean desert all the way down to the Dead Sea. And it's going to bring healing to the Dead Sea. We want to turn over to Ezekiel 47. We'll look at those verses together. Ezekiel 47. So again, this is this is during the millennial reign of Christ, when Christ returns to the earth and he establishes his kingdom on the earth and he rules and reigns from the temple in Jerusalem. And Ezekiel has a vision of this future temple, the millennial temple. In chapter 47, verse 1, it says Then he brought me back to the door of the temple, and there was water flowing from under the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the front of the temple faced east. And the water was flowing from under the right side of the temple, south of the altar. And he brought me out by way of the north gate. And he led me around the outside to the outer gateway that faces east. And there was water running out on the right side. And when the man went out to the east with a line in his hand, he measured 1000 cubits. And he brought me through the waters and the water came up to my ankles. And again, he measured one thousand and brought me through the waters and the water came up to my knees. And again, he measured one thousand and brought me through and the water came up to my waist. And again, he measured one thousand and it was a river that I could not cross for the water was too deep water in which one must swim a river that could not be crossed. And he said to me, verse six, son of man. Have you seen this? Then he brought me and returned me to the bank of the river. And when I returned there along the bank of the river were very many trees on one side and the other. And then he said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the valley and enters the sea. And when it reaches the sea, its waters are healed. Now to the east of Jerusalem is the Jordan Valley. The Jordan River flows from the north, from north of the Sea of Galilee, down through the Galilee, down south of the Galilee, all the way down to the Dead Sea. And the reason the Dead Sea is called the Dead Sea is because there's nothing living in it. There's, its salt content is so high that nothing can survive, and there's no fish in the Dead Sea. But here this river flows out of the temple, And it flows toward the eastern region and it goes down into the valley, the Jordan Valley, and it enters the sea. The sea to the east is the Dead Sea. And when it reaches the sea, its waters are healed. Right now, the waters are dead. That's why it's called the Dead Sea. Look at verse nine. And it shall be that every living thing that moves wherever this river goes will live and there will be a very great multitude of fish because these waters go there for they will be healed and everything will live wherever the river goes. It shall be that fishermen will stand by it, stand by the Dead Sea that's no longer dead. Now it's alive and teeming with fish. And it shall be that fishermen will stand by it from Engedi. To an Eglom, and they will be places for spreading their nets, and there fish will be of the same kinds of the fish of the great sea. That's the Mediterranean Sea, exceedingly many. And so it tells us here that during the millennial kingdom, when Christ is reigning, and this river flows out of the temple, and it flows towards the east, and goes down into the Jordan Valley, and enters into the Dead Sea. Everywhere the river goes, it brings life and it's going to heal the waters of the Dead Sea and the Dead Sea will become a place of fishing where fishermen spread their nets, it says from En-Gedi to en When we go to Israel, we go to En-Gedi uh, and you can see the Dead Sea there from En-Gedi. And so he, he's going to cause rivers to flow through the desert just as he promises back in Isaiah 43. He's going to do this greater work than he's done before in Israel's past. You know, they had the the exodus coming out of Egypt. They've had the exodus coming out of Babylon. The book of Revelation that we're studying on Sunday mornings in Revelation 12, it describes a third exodus for the Jewish people during the tribulation period, where they will flee into the wilderness from the Antichrist and from the dragon, Satan and they will flee to a place that God has prepared for them and a place where God will nourish them it says in revelation 12 and God will protect them and bring them through the tribulation period into the millennial kingdom into the millennial age and so they've got this this third exodus to come
2: he asked me how I-
0: That's all we have time for today on Ring of Truth. We're so glad you joined Pastor Dan Sexton for his verse-by-verse study through the book of Isaiah. This extraordinary book is quoted in the New Testament more than any other Old Testament book. Plus, it provides us with the most comprehensive picture of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. It includes the full scope of His life and ministry, from His virgin birth to His sacrificial death to His resurrection and second coming in glory. If you'd like a copy of today's message, you'll be able to find it on our website, calvaryec.com. You can also subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an edition of this program. That website again is calvaryec.com. We'd love to hear from you too and learn how Ring of Truth has blessed you. Please take some time soon to give us a call at 410-491-4592. Let us know how God is working in your life and if there's anything that we can be praying for during this study of Isaiah. That number again is 410-491-4592. With that, our time with you has come to an end. We pray the Lord bless and keep you and that your faith is deepened with each passing day. Tune in next time to continue our study of the book of Isaiah right here on Ring of Truth.